I think it's funny. Have it as our intro. Welcome to the Crypto Witch Podcast. Join us. Welcome to the Crypto Witch Club Podcast. Welcome to the Crypto Witch Club Podcast, a space for all to learn about blockchain tech. Join us as we demystify NFTs, report on crypto culture, and navigate Web3. Hello, witches, and thank you for joining our very first Crypto Witch Club podcast episode. I'm Shireen Carmel Bucknam, co-founder and lead witch at Crypto Witch Club. I'm joined by my fellow co-founder, Caitlin McGowan, to dig into all things blockchain and Web3. On today's episode, we're chatting about the Super Bowl, from Larry David for FTX Exchange to Coinbase's iconic bouncing QR code. We'll also share our crypto journeys with you and what the crypto market looked like when we first got started in 2017. We'll walk through software and hardware wallets together and talk art laws and the Birkenbag NFTs by Mason Rothschild. Enjoy. So what is it? FNX? FTX. FTX. I've never heard of this. It's an exchange. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I don't use it though. Okay. Who uses it? I don't know anybody personally. Okay. I think a lot of our friends, though, are very dedicated to Coinbase and Gemini because mm-hmm. they're just starting out. Mm-hmm. And then our friends who are more into crypto definitely swing towards Binance or Kraken. Mm-hmm. So it's not one we see a lot personally. But I love Larry David. It was a very Larry ad. Yeah. It definitely, like, don't be like Larry thing is hilarious because he's awful all the time. I, yeah, it gave me major curb your enthusiasm vibes. Yeah. And I think it was a lot more fun it, than the Matt Damon Crypto.com ad we've seen in the past mm-hmm. because they had the same intention, which mm-hmm. was, I think the theme was really FOMO where it's mm-hmm. like, don't get left behind. And that's really what we saw people leading with, but it was mm-hmm. done in a funny way mm-hmm. versus Matt Damon in space. Yeah, it seems like they were trying to pick up on that same thread and do it in a different way. Totally. So that people could laugh about it. And I think it's the thing we see so much because you and I have been in crypto for years. We see the FOMO in real time with people. So Mm -hmm. I think the scene at the end of Larry David being like, nah, I'm good. After he makes all these historical mishaps is hysterical. I was worried that he was going to be like into into it (laughs) for a split second. I was like, oh no. (laughs) And it would ruin the whole vibe. (laughs) But um, yeah, I thought it was cute. Can you imagine if Larry David got paid in crypto to do that ad? Do you think he did? I don't know. I feel like Larry David wouldn't take crypto because as just an older investor, it might not be the time you want to invest in like volatile new technology. Yeah. Like I feel like older investors 
tend to look for more solid, like even keeled investment opportunities because they don't have time to write out a bear market for four years. Yeah, but maybe he's investing for his kids. Like oh, for yeah, the Cassie David. Yeah. True. Or like, doesn't he have like foundations and stuff set up? I don't know. I don't know. It's Larry David. <laughs> so do you want to walk us through the ad? Sure. Context? So Larry David is on the scene during these big moments in history, the invention of the wheel, the, the Walkman, the toilet. Coffee. Coffee. And he is like just his typical self and poo-poos each thing. He's like, nah, he that's says, lame. I don't need that. He says, a man on the moon, I can't even get a tuna fish sandwich without celery. Oh, yeah. It's too far. I can't go to the moon. No one's going to go to the moon. But he's like standing in the space station like as they're doing it. And he's like, nah, it'll never happen. So then finally at the end, I'm assuming it's whoever invented FTX or like. It's probably a paid actor. You think? I don't know. I'm going to research that. I want to know. But like he's saying, telling him about this new exchange. And Larry is like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm almost never wrong about these things. Yeah. Um, Pretty hilarious. God bless Larry David. Mm-hmm. He, I think the best word you use is poo-pooed everything. <laughs> nah. Yeah. No. I thought it was so great because it did with the Matt Damon Crypto.com ad intentions were, but it made it so funny that it wasn't something I feel you could shade as easily. I wonder if Matt Damon had to walk so that Larry David could run in this case. Definitely. <laughs> Matt Damon got all the the onslaught of the backlash for mm-hmm. space travel. Mm-hmm. But who's going to backlash Larry David when he's saying space travel is impossible and hawking a crypto exchange? It's yeah. a lot harder to do with the humor aspect. Yeah. I appreciated it. <laughs> Consider it was a long app too. It kept going. They were dedicated. Well, they could definitely like sh- like reuse it and shorten it. And for sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll, you can. We'll be seeing that more. I bet. It's definitely five ads in one. Yeah. So good though. I wonder how they got Larry David to agree. Like, I wonder how. I mean, money. Maybe he's in crypto already. If Larry David's like one of these secret unsung crypto celebrities, yeah. I would be shook at. But hey, stranger things have happened. <laughs> Ad number two, we're going to talk about Coinbase. Coinbase catering to the elder millennial crew. Yeah. Um, who remembers the infamous dvd local logo screen Mm -hmm. so for those who are in the know the dvd when it first came out had this brightly colored logo that would just bounce around on the screen as a screensaver Mm -hmm. and it's iconic because you would fall asleep watching a movie you'd wake up 
DVD rainbow logo bouncing off all the corners, all the walls. Mm -hmm. And Coinbase made a QR code um, that bounced for, it was a solid 30 to 60 seconds. Okay. It was was going. And we had this really retro fab dance, disco, 90s kind of music playing mm-hmm. in the background and when you take out your phone you actually hit the qr code it pops up to their landing page they have a new giveaway like sign up get this mm-hmm. referral bonus info um it was a limited time promotion for 15 dollars worth of bitcoin for new signups and then they were doing a three million dollar giveaway the app literally crashed after the Super Bowl ad for about an hour. Nice. I mean, that's not nice, but (laughs) I think that's good for, it means like, wow, a lot of people went to it more than they were expecting. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. I am so mad. This isn't something like we came up with in life. (laughs) I think it's genius in its simplicity. It's my favorite Super Bowl ad. Really? Of possibly all time. Wow. I'm not saying it was the funniest. Like, I'm not going to watch the Coinbase uh, QR code bopping around again. I am going to watch the Larry David commercial again <laughs> after this talk. But it's it's genius. And when you spend that much on a Super Bowl slot, mm-hmm. That only cost them agency fees. So I I looked this up earlier. It was actually created by an agency, which mm-hmm. I don't know much about. Yeah, it's by Accenture Interactive. And I looked them up. They're related to the consulting firm. So huge company. It's a big, big company. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very interesting. Were they doing media before or was it more just consulting? Well, I think this interactive piece has been around for a while, but I had heard of them as a consulting firm, but it's, wow. Yeah. I mean, Super Bowl TV spots, huge. So I think because it was so hard down that made it extra exciting because we had so many fun commercials. Like I love Zendaya with the Squarespace. That was really cute. Yeah. With she, she sells seashells by the seashore mm-hmm. commercial. It was really visual and fun. I mean, so many good celebrity appearances. I really like the Matthew McConaughey oh, one yeah? we just rewatched, which we'll talk about a little bit. But I think that made the Coinbase one even more powerful. Mm-hmm. Everybody went so big, mm-hmm. and they it was they went like Mac level, Apple level simplicity. Yeah, well, they wanted those clicks to the website, and they sounds like they got them. They got it. Yeah. Genius. And I think the, the part that hit me the hardest with this campaign was I saw on Twitter that some people didn't get the reference. Oh. And so people all over, all online, keep being like, Elder millennials understand completely, but it's funny that Coinbase, I don't think they were targeting Gen Z. They were targeting us and 
early boomer generation. Yeah, definitely. Which is wild. Which is what I would do with a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. I feel like that's the age demographic of the people watching. Do you know the Gen Z population has more wealth than the millennial population? Mm-hmm. Very wild. Bleak. <laughs> it's bleak. But that's why we're here, educating people about crypto and judging Super Bowl ads. <laughs> so add... Number three, if you know us, you know that I, at least, am not a fan of the Matt Damon Crypto.com ads. I think it just is promoting FOMO, and it wasn't my favorite campaign, although I see what they were trying to do. I just don't think they hit the mark. I liked their one Crypto.com's ad at the Super Bowl a lot more than I liked the Matt Damon one. Okay. Well, I felt like it was less patronizing. So to give an idea to set the stage, essentially it's, it goes into this teenager's bedroom. It's the back in the day, 2003, another lifetime, but it's current LeBron talking to young LeBron and he's basically just saying all that's coming up for him and, you know, what success is and really motivating his younger self and telling himself as a kid, like, you can do this. You got this. Don't sweat it. And then it cuts out of him and his young self, like, laughing together, you know, in the bedroom and then uh, with, like, the, the back door hoop. You know the mm-hmm. hoops we used to have in the back of our bedroom walls? Yeah. Like the whole scene, the bird CDs were yeah. in the room, like very early aughts. Mm-hmm. At the end, it says fortune favors the brave, crypto.com. Yeah. I like that they didn't specifically talk about crypto this time. Yeah. I think it was sort of like pointing at that, like wouldn't he tell his younger self to invest in crypto? Right? Yeah, like probably they would discuss it. I think it still has that FOMO. Fortune favors the brave is a FOMO phrase. So I still think it had FOMO. Absolutely. But I thought it was more nostalgic and heartstrings than the other one with Matt Damon. Absolutely. Um, The heartstrings. Because it made me think of my younger self. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I wish I could go back now with all the knowledge. I have now and tell my younger self to invest in crypto in 2011, the first time you hear about it. Because, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe if I did, though, I wouldn't be here with you having this podcast. I'd be <laughs> on a yacht, <laughs> solar-powered yacht. Mm-hmm. Goals. <laughs> Which one was your favorite, you think? Between those three ads, we have FTX. Um, We have Coinbase and we have Crypto.com. Hmm. I don't know. They were all like looking towards the back, you know, like looking towards history, which I think 
is definitely like a brand awareness way to get people interested. Like comfortable almost. Comfortable, yeah. But I haven't really seen one that excites the futurist in me yet. I get that. You're right. They're definitely pulling like a, like look at your, you know, nostalgic flashback vibes in their own ways. That's the consistent thing. Mm -hmm. Well, three of them, FOMO through the roof. Yeah. But you want to see what the future of crypto is, not of like related to reminiscing or basing it on the past. I understand why the ads are where they are now, because it's such a moment, like they're trying to get more people into crypto. So they're very general. They're very like FOMO. Broad audience. Yeah. Totally. And I think maybe by next year we'll be seeing ones that are like more blockchain related, like how to use the blockchain for good and how blockchain is helping businesses scale and um, like blockchain for your small business almost. Yeah. Or like helping uh, countries in need and all this kind of stuff. Do you think the education aspect of crypto is so layered that it's hard to even attempt to educate somebody about blockchain in 30 seconds? Yeah, I think that's why we're still seeing the ads that are like... My FOMO's through the damn roof. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just trying to get people excited, like, just to figure out what it is. Like, just pulling at their heartstrings, like... Oh my god! I remember those DVD, you know, screensavers. It's like I'm gonna, you know, like it's made for curious minds. Like yeah. they just want that first click, mm-hmm. and if they can like get you in through that first click, I think they feel like that's like the biggest step in brand awareness. Yeah, and I also think maybe in the crypto sphere, there's going to be like, there's different demographics, right? The people who watch the Super Bowl are consumers. Those are the people that need to like buy crypto and get into crypto. Whereas I'm more of like a creator and a creative. So I'm looking at it like what, how can I use it to grow something? And so, yeah, the Super Bowl people are like, they just need to like, put their saving. yeah, consume. Yeah. yeah. And it might be the, it might be like the push for them if, and I'm, when I say them, I'm talking about just a really general audience. Cause when mm-hmm. we do marketing, if you have a broad campaign, you basically are targeting everybody in the U S for mm-hmm. example, would be a broad campaign. And that's what the Super Bowl needs to appeal to yeah. from advertisers. But I think it's really key what you said where there's so many smaller demographics of crypto related Mm -hmm. people that make up that bubble and we do have these consumers and people who want to get into it or invest into it and grow their wealth but when you talk about yourself as a creator it's interesting because i think creators either if they get involved into nfts or DAOs or blockchain with just Web3 in general, they either get it or they're super against it because they feel like the creator economy in Web3 is actually hurting them. Mm -hmm. I think we can use NFTs as an example. There's some artists who recognize the benefit in NFTs and community, and there's other artists who don't understand that 
NFTs give them real ownership of their work. And for example, they can receive ongoing royalty sales, um, which is something you can't do with like a gallery partnership. But I feel like people who don't understand the what it offers the creative economy really rail against it because it doesn't feel like art in the way they're used to. Yeah. Well, change in new industries is always going to like have um, like pinch points and uncomfortableness. So pinch point as a word. I think that's so, that's so relevant to mm -hmm. crypto. There are yeah. so many pinch points and every time somebody sees like a new bot account or a scam coin or gets involved in a rug pull, yeah. they're just, they're pinched and they're not coming back. <laughs> it's hard. Hey, Shireen, I have some questions about wallets. Yes. I saw a hardware wallet in the news with the Fendi. Fendi. The Fendi Ledger Collab? Mm -hmm. Yep. I want the Jacquemus one or Chanel. When that Chanel comes out, I'll get it for my mom. But I also just want to know, what is it? What's a hardware wallet? I would love a Jacquemus <laughs> hardware wallet to put yeah. like the little Chiquita bags. Yeah. A hundred percent would snatch one of those. So a hardware wallet is a type of crypto wallet. And essentially it's an external device. So think like a little of, USB. Exactly. Okay. A hardware wallet doesn't store your crypto, which is a common misconception. It, your crypto lives on the blockchain, which mm -hmm. we know. The hardware wallet stores your private key. And that private key is what you need to access your crypto. Cool. It's the gatekeeper, if you will. Can you store other passwords on there too? Like, yeah. Because I know there's a separate one for VeChain. If you're on a different exchange, then. So each hardware wallet has certain blockchains and tokens it's compatible with. So you need to make sure yours is compatible with the hardware wallet you want. So Ledger, there are hundreds of crypto currencies and tokens you can store on there. If you look at some other wallets, like I'll use MetaMask as an example, even though it's a software wallet, though that can only hold ERC-20 tokens. Okay. So you, if something has to run on the Ethereum blockchain to live in a MetaMask wallet. So depending on what your needs are, there's multiple wallets you can have, or you can consolidate all of your crypto into one. For some of my crypto, like VeChain, I have their native wallet. So I have like my VeChain VThor wallet, and that's where I keep both that. And that's a software wallet. That's a software wallet. Which is like on your phone on an app. It's connected to the internet. Okay, and that's called a hot wallet because it's connected to the internet. Exactly. And cold wallets are hardware wallets, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So a cold wallet essentially is not connected to the internet and a hot wallet is. Got it. A cold wallet is really the safest place to store your cryptocurrency because it's not connected to the internet. You're just less at risk for hacks, scams, um, it's a safer opportunity. If something's not connected to the internet, it's just 
one more layer between your crypto and somebody getting to it. But you could lose it, the key. So it, you could. And I know everybody has heard horror stories of people who have accidentally like thrown out their hardware wallet, people who have dropped it in a river, their ex threw it out. I've heard it all. But the most important thing you can do is remember your crypto is not in that hardware wallet. The private key is. If you are a responsible witch, you write down your recovery phrase or print out your recovery phrase, your QR code, so you can access it again. So, so long as you have that recovery phrase, you can run it over with a Tesla and <laughs> throw it in the Caspian Sea and shoot into space. You just need to be able to pick up another hardware wallet and restore your key through the seat, the recovery phrase. Okay, cool. Don't you feel like there's a lot of hoopla about hardware wallets? Cause like the fear factor. Of losing it? Yeah. I guess that's the only fear factor. It can be lost though. Like I'd be more worried about. So you use hot wallets. Software wallets on I your use phone. Software wallets for what's what I don't have staked. So Shireen, tell me about 2017 when you first got into crypto. I first heard about it in like 2011 because I had a friend who was a developer and very into the tech world. Um, and he knew of all about it. I was, you know, interested in it in terms of what it could give you online in terms of the anonymity. But, um, you know, that's all I really saw it for. It was definitely like a buy your asset online type of thing. And that wasn't my vibe. So I remember hearing about it and I remember being fascinated that it was going up and I didn't really understand the utility. I thought it was anonymous. Um, it took me like five years and probably another three or four people talking to me about crypto and seeing the different projects come out, seeing Ethereum come out before I realized what it actually did, which was, you know, it was a way to securely, you know, move money around and actually hold your money without a bank. Like it was the first Aside from putting your money under a mattress, it's like the first, you know, all yours fully, what's the word? Um, decentralized? Yeah, fully decentralized. <laughs> fully decentralized opportunity, though, because, I mean, there's no other way you could do things without a bank before this. And obviously, the technology is young, but there's still a lot there. But in 2017, I finally understood the value, what it did, and I was super anxious to just jump in as fast as I could. And in 2017, for context, like Coinbase had three crypto projects on it. Like that. Wow. Do you remember which ones? I'm yeah. It was Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Okay. Oh, Venmo has that right now, I think. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, yeah, because I guess PayPal. Even oh, Venmo yeah. has grown so much since 2017. Totally. I mean, I think all... Which is kind of like a bank-ish. Yeah. I mean, it's a financial, it's a high-tech product. Okay. So um, 
I think there's just been so many huge leaps and bounds. But yeah, Coinbase was, first of all, they did not have like the server support to be dealing with this 2017 crypto crush. Um, so it would take like two weeks for you to just get in and set up on Coinbase. Oh, wow. It was such a thing. And like, just, I think the first time I made my first transaction, I knew I wanted to buy XRP. XRP was brand new on the scene in terms of like its visibility really coming up. And it was around two cents. And I just thought, I think what attracted me at the time, not being like a hyper-educated investor, was I saw the low, I didn't really understand market capitalization fully. So I saw the low dollar amount and I was like, this could be huge. So it was a little misled, but I also like the utility. I like the fact that it could be used by banks. I thought it was such a great segue for, you know, traditional banks and centralized banking into crypto. And this is even before a DeFi platforms launched. So there was no staking, like just to give everybody an idea, there was no staking. There were any liquidity pools. There were no NFTs like that didn't exist yet when I got into crypto. And that was only five years ago. So it really gives you idea yeah, of wow. how quickly the landscape has grown. But anyway, I was on a mission to buy XRP at two cents. I was waiting. I had to buy Ethereum on Coinbase. So technically Ethereum um, was my first purchase. And then I had to wait like a week. Um, so the funds could go through on slow, slow 2017 Coinbase. And it was just like hellish because every day and then pass, Ethereum would go down, which I had bought in on, and XRP would go up. So my, like, I think I put $3,000 in, my $3,000 turned to like 2300 2400 before I could even get it into XRP. So I was just melting. It was just, things moved at a different pace. But okay, so you had to buy ETH and then trade it for XRP at that time. Exactly. You couldn't just get XRP. Exactly. And I had to find a place that I had access to in New York that sold XRP. Um, and it was, you know, fairly new in the scene. So I eventually found Binance. And this is like before Binance US. This was just the regular Binance, um, which I had access to at the time. Transfer all my money there and then get the XRP. So by the time I got XRP, it was great. It like tripled, obviously went back down, but it took the whole process, I would say, took 10 days of me sweating. It was just such a such a different experience than it is now. Like, and I had to, unlike, you know, some people can download an app and just go right um, on, exchanged exactly to their coin and that's their first experience i had to download an app learn how to use the exchange buy it then i had to figure out how to transfer it from one exchange to the other exchange and then i needed to learn how to buy it on binance that had a much more complicated setup at the time okay. so that was my like tr what's it called trial by combat trial by fire to get into crypto yeah. when i did it i was just like scrappy yeah 
I was yeah. at a hair appointment one day and literally for like six hours, it's when I was like going really blonde. So oh, I had yeah. these long hair appointments <laughs> for six hours. I was talking to my stylist and just on the exchange being like, I need to get into crypto. Like I have to learn everything. And it's all I did. Cool. So how's your XRP doing now? Oh, it's gone. It's not part of my portfolio anymore. Oh my God, you traded it? So I traded um, my XRP in 2019, I think. Um, Basically when the SEC was doing an investigation. Um, And the reason I traded it is, I think I moved into Ethereum. So I didn't pull it out. But I just... I was in profit and I was like, you know, I don't know how much this is going, the SEC investigation is going to impact the market. Mm -hmm. And I was just being thrifty and I moved it. Um, Also, Coinbase delisted it for purchase, which kind of spooked me. Um, Normally, I don't move things around based on, you know, market volatility or movements. But I was like, I don't know how long this is going to take to fix itself, you know? So I traded it for something, which I think at this time was Ethereum. Okay. I got XRP on Coinbase in 2019. Was it easy? Yeah, (laughs) but now it's just there and I can't, it's not tradable, it says. Yeah, so So basically like it is, you could move it to another wallet or another exchange that does support it. Oh, okay. But can I just leave it in there for now? Yeah, you can okay. leave it in there because essentially like Coinbase right now is allowing for um, – it allows for uh, – what's it called? Storage. Like I'll hold it. You can keep yeah. it there. You just can't trade it. And I think it's going to come back. I mean – Oh, yeah. It says trading yet – not yet it's so available. interesting to think about my first experience versus your first experience mm-hmm. because your XRP buying experience and you're in profit now as well. Yeah. Like I sold, but I sold at profit and mm-hmm. you held and you're at profit. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all about the cycle. Totally. What was your first first experience? Because I know I was there for it and I think yeah. back on it fondly, but I'd love I'd love to hear it again. So 2019 right before our our year 2020 that was going to be so great 2020 was going to be mine and caitlin's year we made a big deal out of like this is our year we had so many contracts yep oh we had a lot of good projects coming up and um and you had been talking about crypto and i've obviously heard about it i have a brother who's on the internet you know (laughs) um and you told me you basically like strong-armed me into it in a way that i was like oh fine fine i'll do it i'll do it so i downloaded coinbase it's really hard to strong arm (laughs) caitlin into anything she is so stubborn it was a whole thing i think it took you probably like a couple months definitely and i kept being like i don't know i don't know it doesn't sound really legit it just doesn't sound like i I just didn't feel um confident in it i also wasn't as good at explaining it at the time and that was also around the time DeFi was just coming out so i was Mm -hmm. really learning about it more 
So I probably gave you a really garbled explanation. I was just like, do it. Listen, like, don't even listen to me. Just do it. No, I thought it was good. So it, as um, like, I'm a, I like to learn new things. So having you explain the basics to me and knowing that there were more things to learn excited me about it. I invested in Tesla stock a few years ago. Um, so. And you had a few other stocks as well. Too. Yeah. So a few you, others. You understood the landscape and kind of like the basic financial principles mm -hmm. necessary for a market. Like being yes. In it. So I can apply, I apply that to crypto and could like, understand and then all of your teachings really got me into it yeah i think you definitely had like i mean that's such a major one up over somebody who's never invested before and mm -hmm. goes to crypto for the first time because you already knew you could handle stock market volatility mm -hmm. so crypto volatility yeah it was more intense mm -hmm. but you already you already knew what you were doing so the extra swings didn't spook you versus mm -hmm. somebody who maybe never invested in the stock market could invest in crypto and you know they're just learning the fundamentals as they're seeing these swings happen and they're you know maybe buying low or buying high and selling low or chasing green candles right i feel like um it's interesting because Aside from like $10 of Square stock I had, which I got from like signing up on SoFi for like an account, um, I didn't have a single stock invested until, until I invested in crypto. Oh, so yeah. for me, crypto came first and I kind of learned all the lessons in like a much more exaggerated, wild way. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, the volatility almost excited me more. So I was like, I'm such a fool. Why didn't I invest in the stock market when I was younger? Like, you know, before crypto was around. Um, but my interest in cryptos like led me into more of an interest with all traditional investments from like Roth IRAs to 401ks and what index funds to get. So I think it's it's interesting because you came into and were able to like really hold it down because mm -hmm. you had a financial background and mindset already. Um, and I did not, but crypto kind of led me to be more interested in that. Yeah. And you're not late to the stock market. Yeah. So <laughs> nobody's ever, no one's ever late. Nobody's actually, I've never even heard somebody ever saying being late to the stock market, <laughs> which is so funny because everybody says everybody's late to crypto. Mm -hmm. But you know what? In 2017, they told me I was late to crypto as well. And then in like 2020, they were like, oh, good thing for you, you got in 2017. And I'm like, no, which brings me to market cycles actually, uh, because yes. I got in in 2017 when this the 2017 bull run was really amping up. So I got in, I saw everything move up and then I saw everything go down. And I done my research, I, I knew buy low, sell high, I know to hold through dips. I know, you know, when volatility presents itself, it's a buying opportunity if it's low. Um, but I essentially got in and for the first two years, at least year and a half, I just lost money. And every time I would lose more money, I would just put more in because I, 
I didn't understand how long this bear market would last. I was like, any week now, we're going to shoot back up. Um, until like 2019, I kind of was like feeling a little bummed out because I had gone down like 80% at that point and I was feeling just a little defeated, but I was like, there was no way I'm pulling out my money. Now that I just lost all of it and literally it went right up. As soon as I was like, nothing can make me touch this money and pull it out of this market. It like went back to my original investment and then that doubled and then that doubled and then that doubled. And even, you know, with this big dip, I'm not sweating because, you know, if you want 100% gains, you have to be cool with 80% losses, you know? Yes. You got to take the bad with the good. Like volatility is great. We do have these runs where I've had coins go up 800% in a week. Um, but then you can't get mad if they go down 300% afterwards. It's part of the part of the game. It's we definitely subscribe to the like big picture. Okay, the thing with Birkins is, I'll say this, only the Birkin, the Chanel are with this. Birkins actually are a very good investment because they appreciate in value. Oh, what happened with the Birkin NFTs? Did you see those? No. Tell me about it. They, they were going to try and sue the artist. Oh, because an artist made like interpretations of Birkin bags and like unique. It was like the, the, the degenerative part was the like textures of the bags and the colors of the bags, right? Like some yes. were fluffy and some were. Mm -hmm. And then they said they're going to sue because they're essentially profiting Take off their Hermes's likeness. Likeness. name and likeness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's tricky because as you know, and Caitlin, maybe you can speak to this, like you have a design background, like, part of doing that is interpreting other things. So when does it become actually a breach where you're trying to profit off this other brand? And when is it actually art? Because to me, I feel like this is art. Why should Hermes own like the image of this iconic bag? If I take a photo of an Hermes bag on a chair that I'll have one day, I, that doesn't mean Hermes owns that photo. I should be able to sell that sell beautiful that photo in a yeah. gallery, right? Because I'm a photographer and that Hermes was a photo was a statement. Yeah. So I'm like, if he's doing these crazy interpretations, I just, I'm like, I think it's just you, like totally. being late to the metaverse. And I'm like, that sucks. I'm like, would I do that though? I'm trying to think if I, I was Hermes, I'd probably be, do that too, but I'd probably be doing it only if I was interested in being in the metaverse. I'd be like, I don't know, the artist isn't claiming he's- I think um, they should thank she, the artist. They should thank the artist for getting <laughs> them some cred. Yeah. I mean, so here's what I think about this copying art yeah. and brands and stuff. It's like, you know, Andy Warhol did- Warhol did the Campbell soup cans. Exactly. Does Campbell's own that images? Watch as we're speaking, like Campbell's, this is stumbling a lawsuit for the, the Andy Warhol NFT images. Oh, I think like a lot of artists like that. And also it's hard to create a, an original thought these days. I feel like we all have this subconscious mood board in our head, like the what creative unconscious. Yeah. And I think like 
I think you have to change something 20% is like the ruling. Mm-hmm. I think I want to. That's wanna, like the law, right? I want to learn more about art law because I think it's really interesting and it's going to be exciting during when AI art. Have you seen the people, um, the AI that makes art? And they're talking about like ownership of that art too. Like who actually owns it? Yeah. That's wild. Is it the AI? I don't know. They're like writing these laws right now. Thanks for listening to the Crypto Witch Club podcast. Subscribe and follow us online at Crypto Witch Club.